Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you this morning. I hope you have your Bible with you and that you'll open it up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're about halfway through our four-week look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. We are going so slowly through this text so that we can take each call to action really seriously, so that we can see how each call to action relates to the basis indicative statement about the nearness of the end and how it relates to the purpose clause at the end so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. I think seeing it in this colorful and bulleted form is helpful. This is how the text is structured. This basis statement, the end of all things is near. And then four distinct calls to action that all come back to the purpose statement so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we've been saying the end is near, therefore be of sound judgment. The end is near, keep fervent in your love. The end is near, be hospitable. That's what we're going to talk about so that today, so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about the importance of fervent sin-covering love in these last days. Fervent sin-covering love in the last days and how God is glorified when we do the hard work of forgiving each other as he has forgiven us in Christ. So I asked you to do a little self-evaluation and I'll ask you to do that again this week. Like not many of us would give ourselves an A-plus on prayer from two weeks ago. Probably too many of us would give ourselves an A-plus on love. Uh, maybe we need to be a little more realistic uh, about our evaluation there. I asked you to remember the gospel as a believer, to reflect on the big things that God has covered with the blood of Christ in your life, reflect on the depth of your sin and depravity, like be honest about the darkness within you, be honest about the way you used to live. I invited you to reflect on the horror and the beauty of Christ on the cross in your place, that Christ died for sinners, Christ died for you, Think about that. Reflect on that. Rejoice in your positional righteousness that results from your union with Christ by faith. Rejoice in the fact that God from his judicial bench has declared you righteous in Christ. The righteousness of Christ credited to your account. Rejoice that your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been removed. Your sins have been forgotten. To use the language of this text, your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Rejoice in all this, believer. And friends, guests, this is an invitation for you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and experience that kind of forgiveness. Have your sins wiped away. Have your sins covered by the blood of Christ. Repent and trust in Christ Jesus. I also invited you to consider what are the little things that you need to cover, maybe even in this room, between you and another brother or sister in Christ. You have been offended perhaps, and you're holding on to that like in a tight fist that you'll never let go of. What are the things that you need to cover over? By the blood of Christ that's been given to you, you need to cover over those things because these are brothers and sisters in Christ that we're talking about. I also asked you, what are the things that you need to cover that you have been offended? Like, not, not only that you have been the offended one, but you've been the offender. I, I, I'm going to use this again later on today that, that perhaps last week when, when we talked through this text, you were like, I'm so glad he's preaching this today because I really offended Joe last week. And now because of this text, Joe's just going to have to cover that over and I'm scot-free in the whole thing. There's a similar misunderstanding in the text today. That's not the way we want to approach the text. But if I've offended Joe, I want this text to stir me and provoke me to try and make it right with Joe, 
to apologize, to repent before him, to ask for his forgiveness. And hopefully this text will spur Joe to say, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. Uh, But that's not my responsibility to hold Joe to that. It's my responsibility to do what I can to make it right. So let's do that amongst the body um, as things come up. And then finally, I asked you, what are the things um, that you need to cover? Um, What are the things that you need to cover because you've been offended? What are the things that you need to cover because you've been the offender? And then I told you that we need, as strangers and aliens, we need community. We need a family in this broken world. And that's really going to be a major point today. This week, the call to action is to be hospitable toward one another. To be hospitable toward one another and to do it without grumbling. We're going to talk about what that means and what that could look like. Like I'm super thankful today that the text is not hard to understand. There have been some things in 1 Peter that are hard to understand, right? Uh, some, some times where we've really had to gird up the loins of our minds and think hard. This week is not one of those. That's super simple. It's really straightforward. Be hospitable toward one another without grumbling. And man, it's so hard to do. Not hard to understand, but really hard to do. We're going to talk about what it means and what it could look like. We're also going to consider why it's so important that we be hospitable in these last days. The end is near, so be hospitable. Why is that important now? And we're also going to talk about how God is glorified as we're hospitable toward one another. My hope is that God's word today will change the way we actually engage with one another. Like, not just in theory, not just in the way we think, but in the way we actually talk with one another, the way we actually live together, like real, practical, tangible, observable differences from God's word today. That's our prayer. And then at the end, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as an act of this hospitality, as a reminder of the root of our hospitality in the body and blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, and in a little exercise of hospitality toward one another that brings us together. So let's read together in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11, but we're going to look closely at verse 9 today. This is God's word. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, We want to thank you first today for your saving grace in our lives. You have caused us to be born again. You have called us from darkness into light. You have brought us near to yourself through the sacrifice of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You have adopted us as your children by grace alone, through faith alone. And we are pleased, overwhelmed even, to call you our father. And since we are your children... We are brothers and sisters with one another in this eternal spiritual family. Father, help us to love each other well, to care for one another, to forgive one another. Help us to do this from the heart with sincerity and gladness rather than with grumbling and complaining through gritted teeth. Let this be our joy and not our mere obligation. And as we do this, we trust that you will be glorified and that the world will be drawn to you. That's our heart's desire today. Grant it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so the basic call to action is found in verse 9. Let's look at that together. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Simple, right? Straightforward, not hard to understand. Let's talk about what hospitality means. What does it mean to be hospitable? Well, that word, hospitable, is a compound word in Greek. It's two words smashed together. It's the word philos, which is a standard kind of simple word for love and affection, right? And another word, xenios, which is stranger or foreigner. And so literally, hospitality in the original language means love of the stranger, love of the foreigner, love of the outsider. We're familiar with this concept because we're familiar with the Greek word Philadelphia, which is the same kind of thing. It's the word for love combined with the word for brother, right? We have a love for the brothers in Philadelphia. Well, hospitality is a different thing. It's love for the stranger. One scholar says it means to be fond of guests, to be given to or a lover of hospitality. Interestingly, the only other two places in the New Testament where this same form of the word is used is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 happen to be the list of qualifications for those who would lead the church as elders. That they are required to be hospitable, required to be lovers of the strangers, lovers of the foreigners. That's pretty interesting stuff. We know that in the Bible, hospitality was commanded of God's people in the Old Testament. Hospitality is a command in the Old Testament. Look at it in Leviticus 19 with me. It'll be on the screen. Leviticus 19, 33 says, when a stranger, a foreigner, an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You catch what's going on there? This command to hospitality, this command to love the stranger is rooted in this text. It's not only commanded, but it's rooted in the very character of God and his hospitality to his people when they were in Egypt. He was taking care of them when they were in Egypt. He was providing for them as they moved through the desert. Christine Pohl says it like this. Images of God as gracious and generous host pervade the biblical materials. God provides manna and quail daily in the wilderness for a hungry and often ungrateful people. God offers shelter in a hot and dry land and refreshment through living water. Israel's covenant identity includes being a stranger, an alien, a tenant in God's land, both dependent on God for welcome and provision and answerable to God for its own treatment of aliens and strangers. Dependent on God as an alien and accountable to God for how they treat strangers. You see, our call to hospitality is rooted in God's kindness toward us. Our love for the stranger is rooted in God's love for us when we were strangers. This is not apart from God's character. God is calling his people simply to be like him, as he always does. As we've seen already in 1 Peter, he said, Be holy, because I am holy. You be like me, as my people. Hospitality was commanded in the Old Testament, and hospitality was practiced amongst God's people. I could give you a thousand examples of hospitality being practiced amongst God's people. Two, though, that come to mind easily are Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, Abraham receives three visitors under the oaks of Mamre. Remember these three visitors? 
He's just had a meeting with God whereby he has promised him a descendant, a son, right? A covenant heir. And then he receives these three visitors under the oaks of Mamre. And when he receives them, he washes their feet. He gives them immediately some bread to eat. He calls his wife Sarah and tells her to make preparations for a great feast. A great feast that would include fresh bread and a calf and curds and milk and all of these good things that his household has to offer. And there, as he entertained those three guests, he showed them hospitality. He loved the strangers. And as he was doing that, the promise of God that he would have a son by the next year was restated and confirmed. We see Abraham, the father of Israel, showing hospitality, showing love for the strangers. Some would argue perhaps even loving Jesus himself in that scene. The other scene that comes to mind is from 2 Kings chapter 4 because it was part of my daily reading last week as I was preparing uh, to preach this text in 1 Peter. I was reading in 2 Kings chapter 4 and I saw that scene where Elisha is shown, the prophet Elisha is shown great hospitality by a Shunammite woman. You remember this? This Shunammite woman uh, takes care of him. In fact, every time he was passing through her area, she would feed him. And not only that, she eventually convinced her husband to build a little room onto their house so that when the prophet was coming through town, he would always have a place to stay, a cool and dry place for him to stay. She was taking care of him and showing hospitality to the stranger as he passed through. You may remember that that story ends also with a miraculous son and with a resurrection from the dead. Like all of this has got to be pointing us to something bigger, right? But two things I want you to see. Number one, hospitality was commanded in the Old Testament. And number two, hospitality was practiced amongst God's people. Those two examples are a few of very many. And I think it's safe to say that hospitality marked the people of God. Hospitality marked the people of God, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. In the New Testament, we see see Jesus, the recipient of people's hospitality. In the New Testament, we see Paul frequently on the receiving end of people's hospitality, the people of God being hospitable. And this is the command that is given to us now. It's commanded in the Old Testament, exemplified throughout the scriptures, and now I'm delivering it to you. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's not a new thing, it's an old thing. And it's rooted in the very love of God for us. We are to be hospitable. But that raises a question, to whom? To whom are we responsible to be hospitable? Well, in one sense, the Bible calls us throughout the scriptures to hospitality to all kinds of folks, like indiscriminate hospitality to perfect strangers and really anyone who finds themselves in need. We are responsible to be hospitable to everyone. Jesus drove this home with a lawyer in Luke chapter 10. A lawyer approached him and asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, What's written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Exactly who is my neighbor? And you remember how Jesus answers that question? With a long story. A long story about a traveler who was robbed and beaten and left for dead, and a Levite who passed by and did nothing, and a priest who passed by and did nothing, and a dirty old Samaritan who came down the road and showed kindness to that man who was in need. Jesus says, who proved to be a neighbor to the man? It was the Samaritan. 
right? Jesus drives home the point that we are responsible to care for, to show hospitality to all kinds of people with the parable of the Good Samaritan. We are expected to be hospitable to all kinds of people, but there is a special emphasis in this text in 1 Peter. This text in 1 Peter, he's zooming in a little bit to how we are to be hospitable toward one another. That's the emphasis of this text. It says it plainly in the text. Those aren't added words for our English translation. It says, be hospitable to one another. Who's who's Peter's audience? The chosen, the elect, who are exiles, aliens scattered around all of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and all these places. While we have an obligation to all kinds of men, we have a particular obligation to our brothers and sisters in Christ to be hospitable to them. We see this in Romans chapter 12. So Joe, Pastor Joe said this morning, hey, what, what text is Laura going to read uh, in the offering? And I said, oh, Matthew chapter 25. He said, oh, I'm so glad I asked because I was going to read that at the opening. And he, I said, well, find another text. There are plenty to choose from. And he happened to pick Romans chapter 12, right? Romans chapter 12 that says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Catch that. That's Philadelphia. That's love of the brothers, right? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. I I think it would be a really weird thing if he says, be devoted to one another, contribute to the needs of the saints, and then completely shift gears and say, now I'm talking about everybody else out there, when he says practice hospitality. I think it's fair to to assume that Paul is saying practice hospitality amongst the brothers especially. I think we see a special obligation to care for one another, a general obligation to be hospitable to all kinds of men, right? Special obligation to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says it really plainly in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, a text that I quoted last week that says, let us not lose heart in doing good. Let me just stop there and say, that can happen. Paul has to say that over and over because it's so likely to happen. That's why Peter says, show hospitality without grumbling. Like, don't grow weary in doing good. There is a tendency to grow weary in doing good. Why? Because you do good, and you do good, and you do good, and you get burned. And you do some more good, and you get burned. And you do some more good, and you get burned. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's what we're talking about in 1 Peter. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This text in 1 Peter seems to zoom in on our special responsibility to show hospitality to fellow Christians, fellow strangers and aliens. That's that's why he calls it hospitality. It's It's love for strangers, it's love for aliens because we are strangers and aliens. That's who we are. That is our identity as Christ's people in the world in 1 Peter. Love the strangers and aliens means love one another because we are all strangers and aliens. Peter's calling his readers to show hospitality to one another in the midst of this hostile world they live in. The hostile world we still live in. Karen Job says it like this. There's a line in here that is so good. She says, the church is to be that alternate society where Christians find a place when shunned by unbelievers 
who live by different values. In a hostile world, the church is to be the place of safety and well-being for its members. A place where common beliefs unite more than differences divide. Paul, let me say that again. A place where common beliefs unite more than differences divide. The Christian community is a colony of the holy nation of God among the nations of the world. And we live out that identity by showing hospitality toward one another. That's the call. Be hospitable toward one another. And then he says, without complaint. Some of your translations say without grumbling. Why do we have to be told to do this, to show hospitality, to love our fellow strangers and aliens, and to do it without grumbling? Well, I think there are two, re- two reasons, two answers. Because, number one, God always cares about the heart more than the external form. Why does Peter say do it without grumbling? Because God cares about your heart more than he cares about your body, if that makes sense. Like there is a way to show hospitality through gritted teeth. It's like, I'm going to take him to lunch and I'm not going to like any, any second of it. I'm going to let him stay in my house, but he stinks and he makes a mess. And No, 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 no. Like that is not honoring to the Lord. He says, he says to do it because God cares about your heart. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when it comes to giving. It says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful, he doesn't just love gifts. He doesn't love gifts. He's not like me. He loves a cheerful giver. And I think Peter is saying he loves a cheerful host. He's not looking for mere hosts who do it out of obligation. He's looking for cheerful hosts who love the stranger without grumbling from their hearts. That's one reason, because God cares about the heart more than the external form. And number two, because hospitality won't be easy. It won't be clean, and it won't be cheap. And therefore, you will be inclined to grumble. He's not calling us to something simple. He's not calling us to something smooth and easy and nice and neat. He's calling us to something really messy and really costly. And he knows that we will be prone to grumble because of those things. Tom Schreiner says, The words without complaining acknowledge that those who open their homes may grow tired of this service. Thus they are exhorted to be hospitable gladly, not caving into the temptation to begrudging to begrudge their charity toward others. Why does he say we do it without complaining? Because God cares about our hearts, because this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard, and you're going to want to complain. So that's the call. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. How do we do this? How do we do this practically? Well, what I, what I intend to do is give you a range of things, a range of hospitality. And this is not a, an exhaustive list of hospitality, hospitable, yeah, yeah, hospitality, hospitableness. It's not a range. Um, it's not an exhaustive list. Some samples. Number one, let's start with it, low bar. Make a phone call. Send a text. That could be a love. That could be a care for the stranger. You could check in and say, how are things going? You could honestly say, I'm praying for you today. You're on my mind, and I'm praying for you today. It's a simple thing. Reach out and connect with a brother or sister you don't know very well. Within this church, there are brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters 
who are perfect strangers to us. Brothers and sisters that we have been in this room worshiping together with for years. And we don't know each other well at all. So on the one hand, you could make a phone call, send a text, reach out. Number two, let somebody borrow your stuff. Got tools? Got a pickup truck? Got a chainsaw? Got a crock pot? I don't know. I, like, I, I know the things on that side of the aisle. I don't know the other things so well. Got something that somebody else needs? Let them borrow it. And when you do, expect to never see it again. Especially that 10 millimeter. Like, <laughs> never going to see that dude again. Expect to never see it again and be okay with that because your brother had need of it. And you had it. And the early church, as soon as they got together, they shared everything they had so that no one had a need. Let someone borrow your stuff. Number three, invite someone out to coffee or lunch. Like this is, this, we're taking small steps in the right direction here. I'm not saying invite them into your home. I'm saying take them out to lunch. And take them out to lunch or coffee with no agenda. Like the worst, the worst is when you get the invite and you think, oh, no. What do they really want to do here? What is this really about? No, no, no. Just lunch, no agenda, just to love somebody and care for them and get to know them so that they're not a stranger anymore. They may be a stranger as far as the world's concerned, but they're not a stranger to you anymore. Show some hospitality, take someone out to coffee, take them out to lunch, or invite them into your own home for a meal. This is where some of you get the hives. Like, we're, we're doing good, we're doing good. And when I talk about opening your own house, saying come to my house for dinner, Come to my house for dessert. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. Have you seen my house? Have you had my cooking? It's not a good thing. We're not, we're not trying to impress each other. We're not, trying to one, we're not trying to wow each other. We're trying to love each other. Rice and beans, be fine. It's about the togetherness. It's about loving one another. It's about this connection. It's about being together and loving each other. Invite someone into your home for a meal. Maybe fourth or fifth, whatever we're on, you could start a regular gathering in your home. I am super encouraged that, that there are some of these things that happen at First Baptist. We don't put them in the announcements because they just kind of happened organically. Um, but there are some groups that meet in people's homes every week. There's one particular group of ladies who meet in someone's home every Thursday for Bible study and prayer, and they've been doing it for years. And I hear and see good fruit coming from that. It's a beautiful thing, but listen, some of, your, some of your flesh just got stirred up as I was telling that story. S some of your flesh got stirred up as I was talking about this group of ladies that's met for years, and you're like, I wonder who that is. I've, I've never been invited to that. I was talking about there's a group of ladies that meet every Thursday. I've never heard of anything about this. What's, well, they, don't, they don't like me? I'm going to be mad about that. I'm going to sit by my phone for the next two years, wait for them to call me. Man, that's messed up. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, about sitting by the phone and waiting for it to ring. The application from this text would be, start your own group. Invite people into your home. Be proactive. Take some initiative. You be hospitable. The command is not receive hospitality from all these other people around you. It is be hospitable. You want to be in a Thursday night group, start a Thursday night group. That's the way I'll say it. Uh, here we go. 
getting a little more difficult now. Open your home to someone who needs a place to stay. Got an extra bedroom? There may be a hundred reasons why a brother or sister needs a place to stay for a season. Got an extra space? Open it up for that brother or sister. That's terrifying, isn't it? It's hospitality. That's exactly the kind of stuff the early church had to do because there was no place else to go. A brother or sister gets put out of their home for being a Christian. They can't go to the Holiday Inn. They got to be taken in by another brother or sister, and they did that. Open your home to someone who needs a place to stay. A lot of us have extra space and could do this. Maybe the last thing, I want to I camp out on this one for a minute because I think this is a really practical, practical way we can be hospitable. We can become a foster parent. We can consider becoming foster parents. Since the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe versus Wade put the decision about abortion back to the states, we, your pastors, have talked a lot about what we should do in response to that. We kind of landed on three things. Number one, we doubled down on the Pregnancy Resource Center. It becomes more and more important as, frankly, more and more women come to Illinois looking for abortions. We, we want them to be able to find help to choose life. We doubled down on our Pregnancy Resource Center. We beat the drum for foster care. We beat the drum for adoption. You're going to hear more about that third one in months to come, but for now, let me beat the drum for foster care. One of my good friends, Jordan Bird, pastor at the Journey Church, is part of, he's a foster parent, he's involved in systems, and he says often that if one family from every evangelical church in America will become foster parents, the foster care crisis will be done away with immediately. Every kid in the system would have a place to stay. And listen, every kid in the system, if we did that, would be in a Christian home, assumedly. Oh, man, how beautiful could that be? We want to be about this thing. So we've invited the Restore Network, namely Jordan and his wife Riley, to come to First Baptist on September the 11th. You'll be able to remember that date. September the 11th, that's a Sunday night. We're going to give five to seven, our whole Sunday night chunk, to a seminar they call Foster Care 101. They're going to talk about what foster care looks like, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're going to answer your questions about how foster care works. And at the end of the night, they're going to ask two questions. One, you want to be a foster parent? Some of you do. Some of you are in the process already. Some of you have done it for a long time. You want to be a foster parent? And two, do you want to help foster parents? Do you want to be a resource and an advocate and a help to those who do foster? I want to say everyone in this room should answer yes to one of those questions. So mark it down. Sunday night, September 11th, we're going to talk about foster care. I think there's no bigger way to open your home than to become a foster parent. In the name of Jesus. For more ideas on hospitality, I want to commend to you a book by Rosario Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, subtitle, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. I read through that book this week uh, on hyperspeed, and there's nothing ordinary about her practice of hospitality. Um, it is radical. Um, but my favorite line is at the very end of this book when she says, start anywhere, but do start She's talking about hospitality in a thousand different ways, a thousand different things that she does in her home with her family to open the door to her neighbors, to open the door to fellow believers. And at the end of it, she says, 
Oh, start anywhere, but definitely do start. And that's what I want to say to you. So if it's making a phone call or it's becoming a foster parent, do something. Show hospitality to one another. That's the call. And we're called to a sense of urgency in this because in verse 7, he grounds this in the initial indicative statement about the nearness of the end. So we could read the text like this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Because the end is near, we, as the people of God, desperately need community. We are strangers. We are aliens scattered all over in Babylon. And who's our community going to be if it's not us? Where are we going to find our people if it's not amongst the people of God? Surely we, as believers in Jesus, have more in common with fellow believers in Jesus than we do with anyone else. Surely the thing that we have in common with fellow believers in Jesus trumps everything else. We must, in these last days, find our people in this strange world. We've got to find our people in this strange world. And for Christians, the church is our people. Your people, if you're a believer in Jesus, are here. You've got to find your people in the midst of this strange world. Have you ever been to Cardinals Cubs at Bush Stadium? Those Cubs fans find each other. They like spot each other and like, okay, we're, we're together. I'm not, the only, I'm not the only one here. By, by the grace of God, I'm not the only one here. That's the way it should work in the church. We're like Cubs fans in St. Louis. It's messed up out there. We're trying to figure out how to survive, and we need each other. The days are few. Let's find our people. The end of all things should bring us together, and these are the last days. But listen, as much as God designs and intends and commands for us to be together, to show hospitality toward one another in these last days, in these last days, the enemy works overtime to drive us apart. He is going to work, if God's design is that we would be together, he's going to work overtime. The enemy is to break us apart. And how does he do that? How's he doing that right now? A couple of ways that I think, that I see. Number one, we confuse kindness with hospitality. We settle for the social dance. And we say that's hospitality. We say, ah, yeah, we're together because when I see so-and-so in the hallway, I say, hey, how's it going? And they always say it's going great. And I say, oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. We move on. We mistake kindness for hospitality. We embrace superficiality instead of intimacy. Maybe say it another way. We are easily satisfied with Facebook level of relationship amongst the body. And if the enemy can keep us shallow, he wins. If he can keep us superficial, he wins. That's one way. We mistake, we mistake kindness and hospitality. Number two, disagreements lead to divisions. We, we have lost the ability to disagree without being divided. We, we've lost the ability to disagree and not separate over it. We see this in political discussions. We see this in ideological discussions. We see this in preferential discussions. How many friends have you lost in the last two years over things that are not main things? How divided have we become? How easily offended 
are we? Over things that are not main things. One of the ways he drives us apart is we've lost the capacity to disagree and not be divided. Did you know that you can disagree and be together? If you're married, you know that. I had a great discussion with Pastor Dylan about this this week because I was like, I don't think we can do this anymore. I don't think we know. I don't think we know how to disagree and not be divided. I don't think we know how to disagree and still be together. And he says, oh, sure we do. Sure we do. I've got buddies that we disagree about college football and we call each other, and we, in his language, we talk crazy to one another about how ridiculous it is that you're a fan of this because you should be a fan of this, and we talk crazy about each other, but we're still friends. We're still together. You ever heard guys talk about Ford guys and Chevy guys? That's crazy talk right there. And they will, they will call each other all kinds of names, but they're not at odds with each other. They're still friends at the end of the day. I think he's right. We do have a capacity to do this on things that we have rightly prioritized. We know that college football is not our identity. We know that driving a Ford truck or a Chevy truck or whatever is not our identity. But we've decided to make certain third-level, fourth-level things our whole identity. And so if somebody disagrees with us in that, we're like, oh, we can't walk. We can't, can't possibly walk together with you. You like that kind of music? I couldn't possibly be your friend. You eat that kind of food? You wear those kind of clothes? You think this way about the virus? You think that way? Couldn't possibly be brothers. I'm, I'm thankful for some positive examples of this. Specifically in the last two years, like some of you have really done a good job with this. Like we, as your leaders, had to make decisions about how we were going to navigate the virus. We had to make decisions. We tried by God's grace to follow the Lord as carefully as we could, and we know that some of you did not agree with that. And you're still here. You're still here. Praise the Lord. Like you were able to say, I think you're wrong about this, but you're right about Jesus and the Bible, and so I'm okay. Okay, because main things, we're, we're together. But part of the problem with all this is we're not good at prioritizing there's a classic phrase that's been thrown around in the church for a long time, and we need to re-embrace it. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I'll say it again so you can write that down. In essentials, unity. Essential things, gospel things, clear biblical things, unity. We're going to hold these things in a tight hand. Deity of Christ, the exclusivity of the gospel, we're going we're to hold some key doctrines in a closed hand. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. We're going to hold some things as part of, part of who we are and part of what we decide and how we live and operate. But we're going to hold those things in an open hand. We're going to allow some room for disagreement there that doesn't lead to division. We're going to hold those things in an open hand. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all of it, charity. And maybe that's the one we've lost the most. We don't know how to look at someone who disagrees with us and say, I still love you. I still love you. We need to figure out how to do that again. God is calling us to togetherness. He's calling us to love. He's calling us to forgiveness. He's calling us to provision in these last days. 
And the enemy is doing everything he can to drive us apart. And our flesh is with him. Our flesh is pushing us the wrong way. And so it will take effort, it will take intention to pursue the path that God is calling us to. Read on. So we could read the text this way. The end of all things is near, therefore be hospitable to one another without complaint, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It brings God glory when we dwell together and show hospitality to one another. He is glorified by us when we live like he designed. I could read this whole text to you, but I won't. John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus just before he goes to the cross. Just before he goes to the cross, he prays for his disciples, his closest friends who were there with him, but he also prays for us. He prays for those who will believe because of their witness. That's us. And you know what he prays for us? Unity. Unity and love. That's his design for us. And so we will glorify him when we live according to his design. Maybe it's easier to see this from the negative. Is God glorified when we are at odds with each other over secondary matters? Is God glorified when we separate from one another over mere disagreements of preference? No, he's not glorified by that. He's glorified by us when we live as he designed, and he's glorified by them, the outsiders, when they see our good deeds and glorify him. This is what Peter has been talking about in chapter 2, verse 11. This has been a core text for us. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, oh, look at how they show hospitality. They let each other live in their houses. They slander you as evildoers. They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Got that from Jesus, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. After he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of things evil against you because of me, rejoice, be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Then he says, right after that, he says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. City on a hill can't be hidden. Let your light shine among men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God will be glorified by us when we live according to his plans. When we do what he says, he's glorified. And he will be glorified by them when we do what he says and they see it. They see our good deeds and glorify him so that, so that God will be glorified through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, application. Let's do a self-assessment again. Prayer, D minus. Love, C minus. Hospitality, yikes. So let's do this. The last application, oh, I hope nobody takes this away today. The last thing I want you to hear is, oh, good. Some invitations are coming my way this week. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to sit by the phone, and those people who listen to him preach are going to do what he said, and they're going to call me, because no one ever calls me. I had a hangnail two weeks ago. Nobody called me. Nobody. Except my deacon. Sunday school teacher, small group leader, my friend that I see at Scrabble. Nobody called me except them. Oh, I, I could go on about that. People who sit by the phone and are angry that it doesn't ring need to learn how it works. That phone makes calls too. Pick it, if you want to talk to somebody, pick it up, dial some numbers, and there will be somebody on the other end. It goes both ways. 
It really does. So do this. Don't sit back and wait for others to do it. Don't be the recipient of hospitality. Be the giver of hospitality. That's what the text is called to. Because this world is not our home. We are strangers and aliens, and therefore we need each other. John Piper said, the more alien we feel in this world, the more crucial this becomes. Without the camaraderie we feel in a fellow Christian's home, it is very hard to survive the alienation from others. Your lost neighbors are going to turn their back on you. You need to have a home amongst the believers. This world is not our home. There's a war within. The lusts of the flesh wage war against your soul, and my flesh, just like yours, is selfish. My flesh, just like yours, is addicted to comfort. My flesh, just like yours, is insecure. And all those things fight against hospitality. This is a war, so fight. And there's a world to win, so let your light shine. Let them see your good deeds. Let them glorify your Father who is in heaven because the end is near. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste. Like when he comes with trumpet sound, do we want to be found arguing about politics? When he comes with trumpet sound, do we want to be found arguing about music styles? Let's stand together and pray. Father, help us to receive this word and to obey it. And we know that it will not be easy because our flesh doesn't like it and the enemy opposes it. But you've clearly called us to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And we want to take that seriously. And we're thankful that you've given us the the Lord's Supper, this big table that we sit at together as a little demonstration of what hospitality looks like and what really binds us together. Help us to be thinking about that now, even as we respond. God, for those of us, for those of us who are selfish and addicted to comfort and insecure, give us the mind of Christ. Give us a heart and a love for our brothers that transcends those fleshly desires. Give us obedience to your word. I pray for men and women and boys and girls who are lost. I pray that you'll bring them in. That you'll bring them in and make them part of this family. By your grace, give them faith to believe in Jesus, repentance to turn away from their sins, open their eyes to the beauty of the cross, and change them forever like you've changed us. We pray it in Christ's name.